0: Thank you for listening to Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son, and we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring, and because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. I'm excited to preach from Romans chapter 15 today. and I've stated so many times before, but this Sunday's passage has very much to do with it being Palm Sunday, and we look at the reason why Jesus came in Romans 15, excited to preach with the sermon title being, Jesus the Savior of the World. But before we get there, I want to make a few announcements, and then uh, I want to pray for a family that's been a member of our church family for about a year now, uh, Jeff and Shara, and they... Wanted to let you know, moved to Georgia about a week ago, and they've been praying about this and talking about this move for quite a while. They attempted to make this move a year about a year ago, and then made the decision again last week, and they are now down in Georgia. We want to be thinking about them and praying for them. Anytime you make a big life transition like moving, it can be difficult, but then when you add trying to find work and you add... All that's going on right now in the world with this virus, it can be a really stressful time. So Jeff and Shara, we love you if you're watching. We love you dearly, and uh, we'll be praying for you both and for Ford as well. And uh, be thinking about them, church family, and praying for them if you would. A few announcements before we get going. Tuesday and Thursday this week, I'm going to be doing a Facebook live stream on the Facebook page. This week, I gave it a test run on Thursday at noon and then at Thursday at 4 o'clock. And it seemed to go pretty well. What I'll do is a, kind of a devotional thing and then also do a Q&A time as well. And I'm not 100% sure the, the rotation of what, what this is going to be from Thursday, Tuesday to Thursday. But I know that Tuesday, to Thursday, Tuesday and Thursdays at noon I'll be going live. So you want to tune into that. And then uh, over the next few weeks as more and more information unfolds from the government and with, with all the protocols, uh, hopefully we'll be able to see each other's faces sometime soon. Um, but Facebook Live is a good way, good alternative for now. So Tuesday, Thursday noon. Next Sunday is going to be really special. It is Easter Sunday, and we know that we celebrate our our risen Lord every single week, but next week is going to be really neat because we're going to be doing a drive-in service here at the church building. We are going to make sure we are uh, following all protocols. We're going to be staying in vehicles, but Adam Adam Lewis has this really neat technology that's able to do the light show at his house and put the light show and the sound, the music, the songs that go along with the light show into people's vehicles on a radio station. If you went to the Lewis's last year, you saw how that works. We're going to do that exact same thing next week. We're going to do a live video stream right out front, but we're also going to project that to our cars. And so you're going to be able to come and sit in the parking lot. Stay in your car, tune into the radio station, and we'll be able to see each other from car to car, and it'll be kind of unique, and not kind of, it will be absolutely unique, but it will be, I think, a lot of fun. We're going to give it a test run, and we're going to celebrate the risen Lord together here at the church building, and we just want to encourage you to come. We'll be sending more information via email this week, but if you don't feel comfortable with that, that is completely fine, because we're still going to be live streaming, but if you do, we will meet here at the church building in the parking lot, and I'll be doing open air preaching and Andy and George will be leading right out front in front of the front of the church building doors. And so that will be at 10 o'clock next week. It'll be pretty exciting. So keep keep looking at your email inbox, and we'll be giving you more information soon. Okay. Sermon title as stated: The Savior of the World, Romans chapter 15, verse 7 through 13. Romans chapter 15, verse 7 through 13. Here's what the word of the Lord says. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again it says... Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need... You to help us to understand your word. We want us to see the glory of Jesus in this passage today. We want to commune with you as we have our Bibles open. We want to hear from you and we want to respond to you. Lord, we thank you for Jeff and Shara and Ford, the time that we had with them over the last year. We just ask right now that as they're down in Atlanta, that you would continue to give them comfort and peace, that you would help them. I pray for their marriage, I pray for the stresses that come with a move and uh, trying to find a new job, and I just pray that you would, as you do, you would come through, that you would help them, and you would provide every single need that they have. God, as our church family is gathering in our homes, Lord, I ask that you would just continue to work in our lives, and we're trusting you to show up. We're trusting that as we hear from you, from your word, as we sing to you, that you inhabit the praises of your people, and you just say that, so we take you at your word, and so we know that you're at work in our homes God, I pray for every little ear that's listening, any younger man or woman that's listening in right now. For all the children, Lord, I ask that you would help them understand as well. For dad and mom, grand and grandpa, whoever else, God, help them to be able to take what's preached and teach it to their little ones that are in their home in a way they can understand. I pray for my family as they're here with me, that they would be able to hear from you this morning as well, that you would help them open their eyes and ears to hear and see. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God is on a global mission. I want you to think with me before we dive into the passage again. I want you to think with me, and we're going to do kind of a biblical survey from Genesis to Revelation and highlight a couple passages, more than a couple, a few passages, that show us that God's mission was never intended to be kept in the Mediterranean area, in Jerusalem alone, for Israel or Judah alone. God has always had a global mission. And we get to celebrate that every time we gather together. We get to celebrate the fact that Gentiles were included in the purposes of God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, we are told, Adam and Eve are told, to fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth and subdue it. God's purposes for this earth included filling it. He had a desire for the entire globe, not just one pocket or one corner of the earth. God's purposes from very, very beginning, from Genesis chapter 1, included all of this thing, the whole globe, the the sphere that we live on called earth, or if there's any uh, unique flat earthers out there, the whole flat earth uh, is to be filled, it's to be filled up, and it shows us clearly that God has a purpose with every square inch of this earth, and because God created all the in, in all of in the entire cosmos, that God has purpose with, purposes with the entire cosmos. But to be sure, He has plans for every square inch and every square mile of the earth. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, God gives a promise to Abraham that all the nations of the world will be blessed through his family. So through the family of Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Not just one nation, not just Israel, not just the people of the patriarchs, God's people Ab- from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but all the nations of the world through the people of God are going to be blessed. So the entire world would be blessed. This is a global thing. Psalm 96.3, the psalmist declares this, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. The psalmist, you see this with David and With the sons of Korah as well, there's this desire for God to be praised beyond the walls and beyond the city of Jerusalem. There's a desire in them to praise His name among the Gentiles, not just among the Jews. Habakkuk 2.14 says this, "...for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea." So this is not just the earth is full of the glory of God, We see that everywhere. Whether there's people to recognize it or not, anywhere you're at on this earth, if people are there or not, the glory of God is there. We can see it in the beauty of nature. God's glory is there. But the specific promise in Habakkuk is that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. Now that's pretty all-inclusive. John the Baptist when he's announcing Jesus, his cousin Jesus comes on the scene, and what does John the Baptist say? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist knew that there's something Jesus is going to do that's not just going to be to save his people from their sins, which he does, but it's going to be global. This, again, Jesus is doing something global here. We see this all throughout. Acts chapter 1, you see this continued emphasis because we see, or excuse me, Matthew, and then in Acts chapter 1, Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. Just again, keep thinking with me here about the global mission of God. Matthew 28, verse 19 Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Every single nation we are to make disciples of. Not just converts, we are to baptize them and teach them of all nations. This is global. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. God's purposes, busting through national lines, state lines... And all throughout this globe, this ripple effect of what's going to happen in Jerusalem with Jesus is going to bust forth through culture and then pass that culture into another culture and pass that people into another, into another people. The mission of God through the power of the Holy Spirit is going to go forth all the way to the end of the earth. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. So we start in Genesis and we end in Revelation For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus is the King of the Jews. It's Palm Sunday. Laying down palm branches into the city at the beginning of Holy Week. Before the jeers and the condemnation comes Thursday and Friday. But we see that Jesus, although he is fully the king of the Jews, is also the savior of the world. The Bible unfolds for us a global and definite mission of God. Let me say those two words again, global and definite. The mission of God is global and it encompasses the entire cosmos to the further expanse of the universe. As the universe continues to expand, God's purposes are included there. It is global, universal, cosmic and definite god has a definite mission that we are on with him and it will be completed it cannot be stopped it's definite jesus purchased people from god from for god from every tribe tongue nation and people therefore this is global and it is a definite mission it can't be stopped it was sealed with jesus very blood and his resurrection god is doing something on this earth and god's purpose is progressing, not regressing. This is going to be crucial in this passage today as we talk about the Gentiles hoping in Jesus. We have a promise that the Gentiles will not just hear about Jesus, they will hope in Jesus. And this is crucial for us to understand that the purposes of God are not being thwarted or stopped even right now as the earth seems to stop. The enemy is not stopping this global process or progress of the gospel of Jesus. We are moving forward, not backwards. And I think we are to live and expect this kingdom advancement. We are not to live and expect defeat. We all know that Jesus will come back and defeat his enemies completely. But until then... Until then, we are told these great and wonderful promises that the nations will be discipled, that this will go to the ends of the earth, that the knowledge of the glory of God will cover and fill this earth. We're told that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation have been purchased by Jesus. And if we just ask the question, is there places in this earth right now that don't know about Jesus, where the glory of God is not known, we have to say, well, yes, But then we also have to say, well, there's more work to be done. And it's a definite promise. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. We should expect advancement, not defeat. And here's the deal. We expect it because Jesus bought this world. Jesus didn't simply, and I want to say simply because it's not simple. When we think about the atonement of Jesus, what Jesus accomplished on the cross, it's layered. It's layered. He died in a special way for those he specially loved, his elect from all tribes and tongues and nations. He died for them in a saving way, not just the people of Israel. He died for his people in a saving way. He also died for this world in a in this world in a twofold way. He died for the common grace to be procured for everyone throughout this world. God's, God sends rain on the just and the unjust, but he also purchased this world and he owns it. It is his. It belongs to him. It is his in his possession and he has all authority here. And so the entire cosmos is going to one day in his possession, in his hand, all the work of the enemy and all the work of Adam is going to be and is is right now being undone by the finished work of Jesus. And then we see today that Jesus is not just the Savior of Israel, he's the Savior of the world. We see the, the application of all that I just talked about. So where, where we start today is where we finished last week, and that's in verse 7. So last week we were in chapter 15, verse 1 through 7. This week we're in verse, or chapter 15, verse 7, all the way down through 13. And I want us to see here the centrality of the glory of God. When we think about the promise in Habakkuk or why this mission is global we can connect the dots here to the great commission and the glory of God encompassing this whole earth. The great commission and the glory of God encompassing this whole earth. We can connect the dots here, okay? Look at verse chapter 15 verse 7. Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The centrality of the glory of God has to be known by the people of God. Has to be You know, several times I'll reference this. You know, we think about the glory of God. Sometimes it can be ethereal and it can be difficult to get handles on what does it mean to glorify God. And it's as simple as this. To glorify God is to thank God. To glorify God is to simply say, God, thank you. I'm grateful. It's to live a gratuitous life. God, I thank you for your kindness to me. I want to live in response to your grace. And then when people do that together... That's what a community, that's what a fellowship is doing together, is worshiping together. We're to to collectively saying, God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for me. So when, we're, when you're in our home right now, at home, and as we're reading this passage together, and as we're responding to God, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you that you're never silent, ever. No such thing as the silence of God if you have a Bible. As we collectively say, God, thank you, we are worshiping God together. And we are to welcome each other. The body of Christ is to do this because we want together to be glorifying God. That's what Christ's mission was about. And he welcomed people in to make them worshipers of his heavenly father. Let me say that again. The mission of Christ was about welcoming people in, saving people who will also do what he came to do, which was honor his heavenly father. He saved you so that he would make you a worshiper of God. John 12, verse 27 says this, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. When Jesus is talking about, as in Holy Week in John 12, he's in the second half of John, is all about the last week of Jesus' life. And when Jesus prays this prayer, for this hour, this is the hour I've come for this purpose, the cross of Christ. He says, Father, glorify your name because the epicenter of the glory of God is seen in the cross of Christ. And the death of Christ was to ransom or purchase people for God's glory. If somebody becomes a Christian and does not praise God for his grace, they're missing the entire point of being a Christian. In fact, you can't be a Christian if you're not worshiping God. A fundamental... A fundamental evidence of you being a Christian is being thankful for what God has done for you. For no Christian has made himself one. Anyone who is one, is one only by God's grace. And the Christian knows what it means to be thankful and to stand in awe of God's grace and stand in awe of his mercy. We are a thankful people. The death of Christ was to bring people in to do what he came to earth to do, which was to honor his father. So Christian fellowship then, as we begin to k- connect some of these dots, Christian fellowship is about the glory of God. Individually, the Jesus in me life that we have, when I'm living my life throughout the week, when I'm with my family at home, when I'm going for a run, when I'm mowing, when I'm trying to kill weeds. Trying to kill weeds, my goodness. Thank you, Adam and Eve, for the fall. Weeds are everywhere, and really, by the thorns and thistles shall man work as you're living your life and wrestling with life, doing the things that God has called you to do, we are living for God's, God's glory and being thankful when we're listening to a podcast or we're being thankful when we see a beautiful day outside. And then fellowship becomes a group of people when we come together on the Lord's Day on Sunday morning, when we worship in our home for family worship. It's about many people at one time. So our family comes together, it becomes four people at one time giving thanks to God for His mercy. And when we come together on a Sunday morning, that's the whole point, is we come together to glorify God together. It's about the glory of God. When we unite around the real Christ and the real gospel, the God of the universe gets glory from that. That's the purpose of our fellowship, okay? So a group of people are to be collectively saying with one voice, God, thank you. That's that's what a grateful life looks like. Grateful lives coming together, that is biblical community, and and God gets glory for that. And Jesus came to get that done. That's what he came to do. Jesus did not come to try to get that done. One of the most important things for us to understand is Jesus did all that he came to accomplish. Jesus didn't just simply make people savable. He actually saved sinners on the cross. The cross is not lacking power and needing people to tap into that power. The cross is powerful and taps into people. The cross is effective and makes salvation not just possible, it makes it absolute. Jesus saves. He doesn't just try to save. So we look at what Jesus try or what Jesus came to do, not what Jesus came to try to do. Look at verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Now Jesus came to be a servant, a servant to the circumcised specifically, to show God's truthfulness. So let's think through this. There's three things and they kind of build on each other here. And if you can look at it in your, in your Bibles, look at, Verse 8, we see the first two, and verse 9, we see the third. We'll just kind of structure it for us before we get into it. Verse 8, a servant to the circumcised. Why? Number one, to show God's truthfulness. And then in order that, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So there's that second reason why he became a servant. And then that was done in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So those are the things we're looking at in verses 8. And nine. Jesus came to be a servant to the circumcised, and he came to do that to show them God's truthfulness. God's truthfulness. Look at that. I love that phrase, God's truthfulness. You see it right there in verse eight. He came to serve to show God's truthfulness. God always tells the truth, always. God cannot lie. Cannot lie, as James Perry once told me. Once, once told me, and he asked me, "Why can God not lie?" Well, it's because His voice, His speaking voice, creates. He cannot lie. He always tells the truth. Now, Brian Sylve, when he came here last month, said this, and I'm going to coin, I'm going to steal the phrase from him. He said that we need to cultivate in the body of Christ. We need to cultivate a culture of surrender, not suspicion. ...to the Word of God. We need to cultivate... ...so work in our heart... ...ask for the Lord's help... ...God help me to change... ...we need to cultivate a culture... ...a collective culture as the body of Christ... ...as the Christ Church family... ...we need to cultivate a culture of surrender... ...to God's Word... ...not of suspicion to God's Word. And so often... ...what happens in society... ...and in the church... So often we think in our heart that we are the barometer of truth and what we think and what we feel is the ultimate test of truthfulness. And so we come to the Bible and when something is read in the Bible or when I read it in the Bible, I am automatically suspicious of what it says rather than what I'm thinking and feeling. The problem of the human heart, it's a continual thing, it's a perpetual thing, is that we always think that we are the highest barometer of truth. Well, that doesn't seem right or that doesn't feel right. When it comes to God's word, we have to know that God is truthful. He's always truthful. He's never told a lie. He never will tell a lie. He does not lead us into temptation. We know that God is true. He is true. So we need to cultivate a culture of surrender, not suspicion to the Bible. We have to remember that truth is found in the words of the Bible, the words of God, and in God himself. And what God says in his word, it's simply right. It always is right. And we never need to question it. We never need to wonder if God is being truth or truthful or lying to us or if he's withholding something from us. We, we should never think that God knew how things worked back a couple thousand years ago, 3,000 years ago. But he sure doesn't know what things are going on in 2020 We have experts now. We have experts now. God didn't know about experts back in the day, so we think. We need to trust God's word over anything, and we are to submit to God's word. And Jesus came to become a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. God never lies, ever. So you think about the Old Testament, and you think about Jesus coming to God's people, and immediately I begin to think about the 400-year gap of silence between Malachi, or the last last prophetic word, and John the Baptist, a 400-year gap. And you know, in our lives, we live, I think life expectancy now for uh, a, a male is about 81, almost 82, a life expectancy for a female is about 80, 82, give or take a few months, and we think about history, and so often, you know, we, are, we go back, our country isn't even 400 years old. There had been a 400-year gap where there was no prophet, there was no word from the Lord for that period of time. There was just no prophet came to Israel. And for 400 years, it was just silence from God. And all of a sudden, God showed his truthfulness. John the Baptist comes up on the scene. After longings for the Messiah, wondering, will he come? Will he come? Elijah, John the Baptist, did come and he declared that Jesus has come, that he is the one who takes away the sin of the world. He is telling the truth. God does not lie. The Messiah that was promised in Genesis chapter 1 or Genesis chapter 3 has finally come. He was telling the truth and Jesus came to show, hey, God is truthful. He does not forget his word. He is not sitting on his hands as we talked about last week. He was telling the truth. God is truthful. And he did this in order to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs. Look again at verse 8. In order to show God's truthfulness, and that served the purpose, as we're kind of building the scaffolding here, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. There were promises given to the patriarchs. And you wonder about uh, the patriarchy in the Old Testament. This the patriarchs of the Old Testament are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so anytime you're in a study or hear somebody talk about the patriarchs of the, of the faith, people are referencing the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12 up through about chapter 30. We hear about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We hear about their lives. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. He had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. We think about the patriarchs, and our mind begins to spin. We get this mental Rolodex that begins kind of moving. What were the promises given to the patriarchs? Because Jesus came as a servant to show God's faithfulness, to confirm the promises given to those patriarchs. This is the final confirmation. Confirmation. The promises are made and kept by God. God has not forgotten those promises he made to his men, to God's men, all those years before. You think about our own ability to keep a promise. You think about all the variables that come into play. There were a lot of people who had vacations scheduled at this particular time. This season is a really interesting season because, again, we get to see the powerlessness of humanity. The the frailty, um, the neediness. I mean, just a a, a virus shuts stuff down. And many people's plans have been thwarted because of this virus. Hear me say this God's plans, after thousands of years, have not been thwarted, and they won't be. They can't be. Our plans are thrown off course all the time, not God's. He has declared the end from the beginning, He knows how to get things done, and He doesn't try. He does. He came to crush the head of the serpent. Jesus came to bring rest to his people. He came to bless all the nations through the seed of the woman. He was the seed that came, the descendant that came from the patriarchs. And he crushed the serpent's head. He came to give his people land, not just in the Middle East. He came to purchase the earth for us. He came to remove iniquities as far as the east is from the west. He came bodily and resurrected bodily, showing us what our eternal state would be without sickness and without death. What is the real Canaan going to be like? On Jordan's stormy shore I stand and cast a wishful eye. Oh, I wish I had written it down. It just came to my mind. I'm bound for the promised land. I'm bound, I'm bound for the promised land. Those promises that God gave to the patriarchs were only fulfilled in shadow. And they're given to us as an inheritance, and they're coming. And Jesus came to show God's people, a servant, the God-man, Jesus Christ, came to serve God's people and to confirm these promises that were given to the patriarchs. And they are a reality. From the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob comes to one all those years later. Who is the blessing to the world, not just to Israel? And he came. And he came for a reason. Look at verse 9a. In order that, so the scaffolding goes up one more story, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. The Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. There's dots connecting for us again. You see Gentiles and you see glorify God for his mercy. God is creating a global fellowship here that's about the exact same person and about the exact same mission. Now, Jesus did all this in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. When you hear Gentiles, here's what I want you to think I want you to think the world, not just. The Jews. To say the world is simply to be kind of a shorthand for the Gentiles and the Jews. Jesus came for the world. The world is all-encompassing, and Gentiles, it's an all-encompassing word. So when you think Gentiles, anybody that's not a Jew, the whole earth, the whole world, when you hear the world, we're talking Jewish people and Gentile people, the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That means, for God so loved the Jew and Gentile, not just the Jew, that he had chosen a people for God and Jesus came to die for a people from God from every tribe and tongue. His benevolence and his goodwill goes to all men everywhere. So when you hear the world, when you hear Gentiles think the world, and he did this, that the world might be saved. That the world might be saved. Now when we think about might, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. And to glorify God, you cannot glorify God for His mercy unless you know His mercy. And so the gospel of Jesus, when the gospel is preached and goes forth from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, the glory of God spreads with the gospel of God. So when the gospel of God goes forward, that means the glory of God is going forward. Because people are praising God for His mercy when they come face to face with His mercy. You can't not praise God when you know the grace of God. And so as the gospel for- goes forth, the glory of God goes forth. People are beginning to praise God for his mercy. And he did this that they may be saved, that they would glorify God for his mercy. Again, this whole thing that we're talking about here, the, being a, a gospel-centered church, creating a people that are gathered around the real gospel, the real Christ and the real gospel, we are about this because it creates a community of people who are collectively praising God for His mercy. Together, we are praising God for His mercy. Not just the Jews. Jesus came to unite the world, break down prejudices, bring together racial divides, and create one new man in the place of two. To save the world with one purpose and one mission. That the God of the universe would be praised and the glory of God would go forth. Jesus came to unite the world in glorifying God. That the world would declare, look at this, God is kind, God is merciful, He has been wonderful to me. How can I not praise Him? Jew and Gentile alike. He came that the world would say, my goodness, God is merciful. He is so kind and God told us He would do this. He told us He would do this. The whole Old Testament, what I referenced at the beginning of the sermon, was telling us here's what's going to happen. This thing's going forward, not backwards. The, the, the mission of God's rolling on, the gospel of Jesus is going forth. It cannot be stopped. Can a train be stopped by a dandelion? Absolutely not. The gospel of Jesus cannot be stopped by a virus or any wicked ruler or nation. It cannot be destroyed by liberalism. It cannot be destroyed by the enemy. It cannot be stopped. And God told us this. And he told us this in absolute terms. When we hear the word might, for instance, in that the Gentiles might glorify God, that's not talking about... Maybe possibly, like maybe they'll do this. Like there's an option here for this to maybe happen and maybe not. The whole point is, is that Jesus. if Jesus didn't come, there was no possibility for the Gentiles to praise God for his mercy in that way. But because Jesus did come, now they might, this is something that's going to happen, and we'll connect the dots here to not just possibilities, but absolute abilities, to make up a word, here in a few verses. Jesus came so that they... Might that we'd be able, that they would glorify God for His mercy. And this is what the Old Testament tells us about. The Holy Spirit inspires Paul to paraphrase from his memory quotes from the Old Testament. Four passages in particular. Four passages Paul, in his mind, goes to and he paraphrases them and he says this, as it is written, in the Old Testament, all of these come from the Old Testament. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. So not just the Jews, world. Rejoice with the Jewish people, with the Jews. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. Let everyone extol him. with everything that has breath. Praise the Lord. And then in verse 12, and again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, and even he who rises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Catch that. They will hope. In Jesus will the Gentiles hope. Gentile friends, I stand with you. And I declare by the grace of God and the grace of God alone that my hope is in Jesus and Jesus alone because of Jesus alone. Not in anything that I have done, not in anything that I have learned, not in anything that I have attained, but only because of the mercy of God do I stand as a Gentile forgiven, declaring the mercy of God. The root of Jesse will come and he will rise to rule the Gentiles. And in him will the Gentiles hope. Here's the deal. Jesus is ruling this earth right now, whether people recognize it or not. He is ruling the Gentiles, and in him the Gentiles hope. They will hope. To bring it all together, listen to this. These astounding promises from the Old Testament that Jesus was here to accomplish, not just to try to do, The name of the one true God shall be praised among the Gentiles. The Gentiles, the world, would rejoice and worship God. The Gentiles will hope in Christ. The world will believe. The world will glorify God. Christianity has been growing and continues to grow globally, and it will not end. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Here's what I want to challenge you in this unique season, because... You get on, and I'm off Facebook now. I've recognized it's a a healthier thing for me to not be on my personal Facebook page. So I'm not scrolling down. If I post anything, I'm not scrolling news feeds. Because as you read news feeds, there's doomsday articles everywhere. I mean, they're just everywhere. It can make the most hopeful person feel hopeless. And for the Christian, there is never an excuse. There's an excuse to lament when the time is right. There's commands to lament when the time is right. But the overwhelming, just the, the, the standard default for the Christian should be one of optimism. Should be. Should be. That's the, that is the ethos of the New Testament and the Old, is this expectancy of God's activity in the universe. Christianity will not be stopped. It will not be stopped. The Gentiles will hope in Jesus. They will We think about where we're at today in 2020, and we think about Pentecost, all those years ago, the early first century, and this little ragtag group after Jesus ascends into heaven, and there's just a group, a small group, 120 people banded together, and they're told, don't do anything, don't go anywhere until you're clothed with power on high, and then the Holy Spirit descends upon them. And then they stay in Jerusalem until there's over 5,000 people in that city that have been transformed by the power of the gospel. In such an unlikely place, the Jews who hated and killed Jesus, who rejected him, were now being won over because Jesus had purchased many of them. And then when the uprising of persecution began, you see that this promise in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, gets its beginning that, the, that you'll be clothed with power on high, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. How did they get to past Jerusalem? It didn't happen until Stephen was stoned to death under the authority of the apostle of, of, of Saul. And then when the when the persecution came upon the church in Jerusalem, there was a dispersion. People had to leave Jerusalem and go into Judea and into Samaria and into the ends of the earth. Persecution didn't stop the spread of the gospel. It launched the spread of the gospel. How amazing is that? we got to put an end to this. And instead of putting an end to this, Jerusalem, I'm sorry, we're here in Carbondale, Illinois in 2020, praising the name of King Jesus. We are hoping in the Messiah, the one Messiah, Jesus Fully God and fully man, the Savior of the world. Hosanna, Hosanna. Praise his name all across this globe. Persecution can't stop this and neither can this virus and neither can any doomsday article. Please hear me. The mission of God is moving forward. Don't fall into pessimism. Lift your head. See the work of Christ. Look where we are. Look what God is doing. See his work. The mission of God is moving forward. I said, and think about this, a train cannot be stopped by a dandelion. That's the enemy, a dandelion. The gospel train, King Jesus moving forward into this world, in time, we will see the earth filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. How amazing is it going to be to one day stand with brothers and sisters across this globe and stand and praise God. The mission of God, we're going to see it. It will happen. And we're in this mission. Don't fall into despair and pessimism. Jesus is on the throne. His enemies will be defeated. And we are going to reign with him forever. Every tribe and tongue. Every tribe and tongue. People who have never yet heard of the gospel... Don't hang our heads in despair because there are people who need to know Jesus and friends the promise that we get in this is that they will the gentiles will hope in him they will hope in him Jesus purchased them he bought them with his blood Nothing gets the last word here We don't lose Jesus does not lose Let's not live like he does Paul turns and he gets pastoral as he regularly does. And Paul prays again like he did last week in our text. It's a second prayer in chapter 15. He prays and I think it's so helpful for us even to close this sermon. Here's what he says, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in Hope, that you may abound in hope. Hope, hope is this word that, man, where do you get it? And here we've got it. Paul wants us not just to have a little bit of hope. He wants us to be filled with not just a little bit of joy, not just a little bit of peace. In the midst of difficulty in Rome. Persecution about to break forth rampantly. It's already there. Christians are already being persecuted all across that Mediterranean region and into Rome and that empire. And in the midst of such great difficulty and turmoil, Paul prays for them that the God of hope would fill you with all joy and peace in believing. May the God of hope, the God we serve as the God of hope, and he does. He fills us with joy and peace. This is Paul's desire and his prayer for this group of people. And as God does fill us with joy and peace in believing, as we believe the truth, as we believe God, as we believe his word, as we believe in the work of Jesus, as we believe the gospel word, we find joy. In peace. Joy and peace in believing. See that connected together. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. And here's what I want you to do today, friends. I want you to believe. I want you to believe, brothers and sisters, I want you to believe what's being preached here. God is truthful. Jesus really has come. He is the Savior of the world. I want us to collectively, with all joy and Peace and believing. I want us to glorify God together in our homes and the five or the six people that are here. I want us to glorify God together in this room. I want from the inside out of me just to be bursting with joy and peace in the Holy Spirit because the God of all hope is my God. It's in Him, believing in Him, believing in the gospel word, that we have joy and peace. And then He says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, You may abound in hope. In a world gone mad and going mad, what does abounding in hope look like? What does abounding in hope look like? I have a cousin that takes incredible nature pictures. They're beautiful. She is just a fantastic photographer in every single photograph that she does and when she puts it on Instagram. I look at it and I just marvel. It's unbelievable. And there's so much weird and terrible stuff on the internet. And then when you see something like that of just such beauty, it causes me to pause and not just like it, but to actually enjoy it. Because it's so different. I see the mountain glassy lake. It's just glass and it reflects the mountains on the back. Or I see a beautiful animal that she's taken a picture of. And in that, I just, it's peaceful. It's peaceful. And what would it look like right now for us to be so filled with hope and joy in this time? Because we believe in the promises of God. We believe that Jesus has come. We believe that God has united, Jew and Gentile, into the same mission of glorifying God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. What if we had hope to believe, not just Pessimistic purposes of God, but optimistic purposes of God that no matter what view you have of, of the future, you know that Jesus is coming back. You know that He's coming to restore all that's broken. And what if we lived with expectation that God is at work here and nothing can stop His purposes and really believed it? What if we walked with heads held high? I know the God that I serve and I know who I am in Christ. And more importantly, I know who Christ, who's Christ, the Christ that I am in. And more importantly, I know the Christ that I am in. And I know that his purposes are moving forward. Tell you what, I think we'll look a lot like that picture of peace and joy that my cousin takes and posts. When We have everything else going on here. You see this picture of peace. You see this picture of hope. You see this picture of joy. And I think there's going to be people, I really do in this season, that look at that hope-filled, joy-filled, peace-filled Christian, that community of believers who is hoping in Jesus together, believing in Him together, and they think, huh, that's unique. That's peaceful. I want some of that. And so this morning, I want to challenge us Jew and Gentile alike, let's unite around the real Jesus, the real gospel, and if we do that, by God's grace, we will be collectively, collectively, we will be praising God for his mercy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your kindness.